for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. That's What's up, family? We are back again. This is Princeton Parker checking in with you. Welcome to Building Without a Blueprint. I am so excited that you have tuned in again, and there is going to be a very cool and exciting episode ahead for you today. We are still in the midst of our series called Black Women Who Build, and I'm telling you, it just keeps getting better and better, but you already know what time it is. Before we check into the black woman who we're going to feature today, we need to take a look back and identify and be able to hold space for and celebrate some black women of her story who have made significant impacts on who we are today and the discussion that we'll be having. So in a minute, we are going to have a conversation with licensed marriage and family therapist, Keandra Jackson. And we're in for a great interview to talk about her practice, to talk about mental health. And we're really going to turn a pace now to focus on the healing and the humanity or rather the humanity more so of black women, like going beyond accomplishments and achievements to really unpacking and holding space for for humanity, because we are not just people. We are not just what we achieve. We are people. (laughs) We are not just what we produce and accomplish. We are people. And we need to hold space for that in this conversation that we're having about black women who build. So before we talk about that from a mental health perspective and get a little bit more into Keandra's work as a therapist, we must acknowledge that before there was a Keandra Jackson, there was a Mamie Phipps Clark. Now, Mamie Phipps Clark was born in 1917 in Arkansas. She graduated Langston High School when she was just 17 years old and went on to attend Howard University, where she did her undergraduate and then her graduate work. It was there that she met her soon-to-be husband, Kenneth Bancroft Clark, who was an influential voice in encouraging her to study psychology because she had a real significant interest in early childhood development. So she went on to do her graduate work at Howard University, and it was there that she was able to develop her thesis, which was the development of consciousness of self in Negro preschool children. This was a huge line of research that went on to become historic because it was used to uh, communicate why racial segregation should be unconstitutional and was unconstitutional in American public schools. She was able to define a term called race consciousness, which is a consciousness of self as belonging to a specific group, which is differentiated from other groups by obvious physical characteristics. Basically, her conclusion was that children became aware of their blackness very early in their childhood by age four or five. And it was this that led on to what would then spur Dr. Clark's famous doll studies. And so if you've ever heard about the doll studies, this is who was a part of that and the brain and the genius behind it. So today we hold space for Dr. Mamie Clark. Dr. Mamie Clark, who saw at that point this idea, right, about humanity, that we are more than what we do and achieve. We are humans and our view of our humanity from a racial standpoint begins to be inculcated in us even at an early age. And because of her research, we were able 
to start to do work around how that is then reinforced by things like segregation, reinforced by negative stereotypes, reinforced by an unjust education system. And so we would not be here to be able to have this conversation about humanity had it not been for Dr. Clark beginning with our childhood. If you listen to this podcast at all, you know how dedicated I am to understanding the roots of things that go on in life and how they have their roots in childhood. And so even I owe that work of going back to childhood to unpack trauma to Dr. Mamie Clark and and her work. So I'm so excited. I hope that you'll read up more about her, her work. Go and look at old videos of the doll study. Go and look at her work uh, and her contributions to psychology and psychological thought as it relates to race and childhood development. But more importantly, I wish you would celebrate the power of celebration, the power of celebrating our humanity and leaving space for that, for identity formation, that you are not just what you do, you are a whole person. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that with Miss Keandra Jackson. So we're going to go into that interview. I hope you enjoy, and I'll be back to talk to you after. Family, welcome back to another episode of Building Without a Blueprint. Once again, as always, it's your friend Princeton Parker here. And wow, when I tell you this series keeps getting better and better, I'm not lying to you. I'm not one of those people that's like, hey, it's going to get good. And then all of a sudden you show up and it's cheese sandwiches on an island. Oh, fire festival. Anyway, that's a joke. Maybe we'll get that. I am so excited to have with me the incredible Dr. Keandra Jackson from KTLA 5 to watching on the doctors to seeing her blow up everywhere. If you have been anywhere in the last year or couple of years, you have heard her kind of emerge as one of the leading expert voices um, on relationships, on emotional and mental health. Um, She is a giant and a phenomenal black woman, and I am so excited to have her here hanging with us. Would you please show uh, an incredible Building Without a Blueprint welcome to Dr. Keontra Jackson. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to join you guys today. This is going to be an epic episode. It really is. I want to cut right in. And would you just, in your own words, tell the people who is Dr. Keandra Jackson? Well, first of all, I'm not technically a doctor, but people want to, you know, put me in that category. So I'll take it. Uh (laughs) But I am a licensed mental health clinician. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist here in Los Angeles, California. I have been named by the Huffington Post as one of the top 10 black female therapists you should know. I am an international speaker. I'm an author. And as you already mentioned, I've been seen on numerous television segments, anything ranging from the National Emmy Award winning TV show, The Doctors, all the way to the CW, Fox, BET, New York Times, Vice, you name it. So I'm just really passionate about people taking their mental health to the next level and helping people have healthy relationships as well. Just killing the game. So where did this, (laughs) seriously, just like all over everywhere. No, where did this passion for this kind of work begin? It's funny because people don't realize that a lot of therapists and people who are in the helping field, they get into the field because of their own situations in their life. So this desire, especially in in regards to relationships, that desire was birthed from my own family issues. And so I grew up in a broken home. My parents got divorced when I was about 10 years old. Around the same time, my sister was pregnant at 16. I mean, my household was a wreck. I seen, you know, domestic violence in my household. And I just really went on a personal and professional mission of like saying, you know what, if I can help people navigate a situation very similar to mine in a productive, healthy manner, then I want to make that my life mission. So just looking at my family and my friends, there are literally no, and it's really sad, but there's no one in my family to date currently who is still married. Everybody gets married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced. So I never seen an example of what healthy relationships look like. So that's why I am so passionate about this because I understand how this has the, the, the chance to affect generations. And I want to make sure that we're resetting people's generational patterns and their cycles and even, you know, revamping some generational curses, if you will. No, what inspires me about that and what I want to ask kind of following that is typically context of pain really can have two sort of long-term effects. And one Mm -hmm. is that the one that, that you've shared, which is 
hey, I feel called to kind of unpack this and to help it and to dedicate a life of service towards it. But the other is one that sort of starts to rebel, so to speak, from these beliefs that anything like that is even possible, that because these things did not exist for me in my life, I cease to believe that they could exist at all. So there's some people who say, you know what? I grew up watching divorce, so I no longer believe in the institution of marriage. I grew up watching domestic violence, so I no longer believe that men could be any sort of safe space whatsoever. I grew up watching whatever trauma I was exposed to in my childhood can create that adverse effect where you just kind of disavow from all these things or any sort of wanting to to help because I would imagine in order to help, you have to believe that these things are still possible. So what made you turn to this route that I still believe in these ideas of, of wholeness and healing and love and what and whatever that might include instead of the opposite really? route, which is, hey, I, I don't believe in any of this. Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really great question. I don't think anyone has ever, ever, you know, posed that question <laughs> to me. So I definitely commend you for that. But I've always been up for a challenge. That's what I can honestly say. So when people go left, I go right. When people go up, I go down. So I've always wanted more for myself. And I guess you can say that I have always been the oddball in my whole entire family, even within, you know, my household. I just, my mom always calls me that the child who was very, what's it called? Irony, very strong, mm-hmm, very strong willed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like, yeah, you were always that, that child. And so when I set my mind to something, I'm full forward, like going at it 110%. And so I think it was just kind of like built in my personality. I think God knew that he needed me for this season of my life and where we're at in the world in regards to millennials and marriage and, you know, how that's taking a turn. And so I'm, I'm here for it all. So I think everything was very strategic. In this process of kind of going against the grain and, and having that challenge, what have been some of the barriers as you have decided, hey, I'm going to go into this healing work? What barriers have you experienced as a clinician, as as a professional? And uh, what barriers have you experienced as you have gone to do that, that work of healing yourself? Yeah, I've experienced so many barriers. I mean, we can definitely spend hours talking about this, but I think the two main barriers that I experience, even to date currently, one being my age. So I am a millennial and I am in my early 30s. And so I work with couples of all ages. I mean, literally the elderly 60 plus. I mean, you you know, I've done it all at this point. And so I often get a lot of kickback being that I'm so young and people put this expectation of like, how can you help me? You know, like you're you're the same age as my granddaughter or, you know, things of that nature. So ageism has been a really huge barrier for me. Now it doesn't bother me so much, but very early on in my career, I really took that to heart when people were like not listening to me because they felt that I was way too young. But once you grow and evolve and when people see your receipts, Mm -hmm. of like, yeah, you have been named one of the top 10 black female therapists. They tend to believe you a little bit more. So age has been a big one for me and also my relationship status. So I'm actually currently not married. And so people think that if you are not in that very situation that you can't help other people in that arena. And that's one of the furthest things from the truth, because as we mentioned before, you know, I get really good results when working with couples, even though I'm single currently. So I think those are the two main things, the hugest barriers that I have experienced. And that's the that, those are the questions I get all the time. And they say, oh, you're helping all these couples. Like, why aren't you married? And, you know, they try to make it personal. But everybody has their timing, and I'm not even worried about it. My boo and my man is going to come around when the perfect time is right. <laughs> I, you know, I think for, to your point, ageism and and singleness are reasons why a lot of people would try to discredit you in full disclosure from from my standpoint those are the two reasons why I most wanted to have you a part of the conversation this month wow i think that you are an incredible highlight of what is necessary and what is not necessary to be iconic in the service of people so would you unpack that a little bit about how your singleness and your ability to be to be joyful and to be content with that and your agency in it has helped you 
to do the work that you do, because I, I'm sure that I have many listeners who have had those same barriers put on them, particularly black women, where there is this expectation that the black woman needs the credence of a family to prove her performance ability or her aptitude for leadership, so to speak, whether it be in the public space, in the ministry space, in the whatever that might be. So can you talk about, let's let's start with the professional and then I'll move to the personal. From a professional standpoint, how has your seat in life from your age and your singleness contributed to how good you are in the work that you do and, and just kind of your positioning at this present moment in, in the work you do? Yeah, I I believe it actually has some benefits, <laughs> to be honest with you. So people think of it as a negative thing, but I see it as more of a positive. And just being younger, you just have more energy and more freedom and more drive than you do when you're a lot older. And I'm all about just maximizing on, you know, the season that I am in. And in, in addition to my relationship status, there's so many benefits to being single, especially living the lifestyle I live when I travel a lot and I'm speaking and I'm on TV. I don't have the added stress of having to check in with a partner or checking in with my husband and saying, oh, I'm going to be here or I have to do this. And, you know, I got to check in with kids. Like I don't have any of that on my plate. So I have a lot more freedom, time freedom, financial freedom that most I guess you can say people who have that do not. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like having kids and having a spouse is wonderful. It's great, right? But at the same time, it has some restrictions and it may kind of put you in a position where you can't go 110% like other people who may be single like I am do. So there's some benefits to it. It's not always negative, but I am just content with knowing that I'm right where I'm supposed to be and everything happens for a reason. And I have days where I'm like, I'm human, right? So I have days too where I'm like, oh man, it would have been nice to have a spouse here with me at this event or to travel with, or once I get off stage to say, hey babe, you did a great job. But you know, that's not the season of life that I'm in right now. And I'm not willing to rush anything because I believe in divine order and divine timing. And this is just my space. And so if there's anybody out there listening who's single or, you know, who's too young or people are saying all of these things about you, like it's not the case. You have to just be subtle within your spirit and your soul and content with the space that God has you in right now, because more will come at the right time. Yeah. I'd love to press into that for a minute because you brought up something that, I love that you say, you said, hey, here I am and I'm doing this work and it's amazing work and I'm able to achieve what I've achieved single and, and knowing that that has its place. Well, at the same time, being able to hold both together that like, hey, in in my in the fullness of my humanity, this is what I desire. Can we go into one of those moments and what strategically do you do to pull yourself out of that? Because I'm going to admit that not just even for the listeners, I have those moments where you're sitting and you're yeah. like, look, I'm I'm on my purpose grind. And and I think what most people don't talk about is the we talk about the power of purpose, but there's also a fatigue of purpose yeah. that yeah. doesn't get highlighted. And so those moments, they do set in for as much as we highlight, hey, this is the strength. I have this freedom. I am more mobile. I don't have any more any responsibilities that are kind of cramping on this space. But at the same time, those moments do set in where you say, hey, it would be nice. I know for me, they creep in when I'm watching social media or right after a sermon or whatever that might be. And all of us have them. What can we strategically do to get ourselves out of those moments or, or maybe not out of them, but to navigate them so that they don't settle in? Because I know for many people, those moments turn into anxiety, they turn into depression, they turn into isolation, or they turn into some decisions to self-medicate. What do you do in those moments to pull yourself through? I allow myself to feel it. Instead of running away from it, I actually run towards it. And I, I allow myself the grace to have those moments to say, man, I'm human. Yes, there are times where I do desire to, you know, have a significant other and I don't run from it. And so I give myself the grace to do whatever. If that means I'm tearful in the moment and I want to cry, if that means I need a moment to myself, if that means whatever, if I need to write in my journal, whatever 
I'm feeling, I allow myself to express it. Because if you run from it, then that's when you start to go down that dial, that, that downward spiral of the things that you mentioned of depression and anxiety and, you know, substance issues and all of that stuff. So what I do is, you know, I've had a moment where I was, I had spoke to about 1,500 women in the Los Angeles area, um, downtown Long Beach, and I got off stage and it was a sea full of women. It was a women's event. There was no men there, but I remember vividly thinking this would have been a really great moment to walk off stage stage and go back and sit by my husband. Hmm. I vividly remember that. And it wasn't a moment where I became tearful or overwhelmed with emotion, but I just remember it being so crystal clear that being one of my thoughts. And I said, that's going to happen for me because all of the other desires that I have had, whether it was business, personal, professional, whatever, is literally coming to life, right? God has given me literally the desires of my heart, and I don't believe that he will withhold that from me. So I'm still hopeful that that will arise. Yeah, that's powerful. I think there's a lot of healing in what you just said for all for everyone listening, but particularly as this series is for black women, like just Hey, here's that space to let the emotion take its course and to not run Absolutely. from it. Because society will tell you, oh, you know what? You're knocking on 35. Why Why haven't you had kids yet? Oh, you need to do this. Well, you're getting older. We are so pressured by society and family. And I mean, you have no idea how many times my family's all like, when are you going to have a baby? And I'm like, I'm not worried about kids right now. Can mm-hmm. I have a husband first? Mm-hmm. How about that? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Because if I popped up with a baby, y'all would be like on me about like, why are you having a baby not married? You know, yeah. so there's so many different pressures that we have by society and family and friends and everybody just doesn't fit into that mold. And we have to be OK with that. And I mean, women are purposely waiting longer to have children because we're booming in our careers. And, and I think that that's wonderful because you want to be ready to have a husband. You want to be ready to have kids. You don't want to just, you know, have that just because you're feeling it like you want to be prepared as po- as as prepared as possible, because those are life changing things. So that's what I would say to that. I love it. And I, I want everyone who's listening to be able to hear in, in Keandra Jackson, this, this duality, this, this opportunity for us to hold both together, right? Which is enjoying the seat of life that you're in and not having to have a relationship to be defined and to be able to spend time pursuing your career, but also allowing the humanity of desiring that and holding both together. It's not that everything rise and falls in in a relationship or in how old you are or whatever that might be. And then you don't achieve anything in life. Neither is it that you just have a career and want to achieve everything. And then all of a sudden relationships don't mean anything in the process of acknowledging our humanity. I think we have to hold, hold space for it all. So you mentioned that you wanted this life of service because of what you had come through. And we've seen how it has worked for, for you from a career standpoint. But as we unpack like the humanity of black women who build, where did you go to heal? Hmm, to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I will be 110% honest. Every therapist needs a therapist. Got I it. say that all the time, but we carry so much of other people's energy and unpacking their lives and healing other people that sometimes we have to make sure that we have a space for ourselves. And so even when I was still not even licensed and as an intern, like we were required to do our own individual counseling in my graduate program. So I just basically kind of kept that going all of these years. I mean, I don't go every week, right? But <laughs> when something happens in my life and I'm like, you know what, I'm it, there's a lot happening. I'm doing a lot right now. Mm-hmm. I need somebody else to kind of help me process. And I've even processed the good stuff that's happening. Therapy is not always about the negative. I've had, you know, some booming TV episodes and I'm just like, whoa, things are moving at like Godspeed. And I just need to take a moment to like have another person kind of like sit with me and kind of just hold that space for me and process it out with me. So therapy has been a life changing thing, even for me as a therapist. And so that's how I healed because I had to deal with my own daddy issues of, you know, when my dad left and seeing domestic violence and having being an auntie at 10 years old, you know, because my sister had a baby at a young age. I mean, all of those are huge life events. And so I had to make sure that I was whole before I tried to go and fix and help somebody else with their own life too. How did you know you were whole? I think one of the struggles that 
that we have is this is what we talk about here on the show all the time is that we get images of like, okay, I see that that looks whole, but how do I know when I'm there? And so for you, when, when did you know I'm whole or whole enough, you know, or, or is there such a thing? How would we know when we could say that, that we are whole? And then when did you know I'm either whole, like check mark period done, or I'm whole enough to begin this work? And how could we know that? I love that. I love that. So definitely we're all human, right? So there's no perfection. So there has been times where I thought that I was over something and then I get triggered and I'm like, oh, I'm going back to therapy and talking about that (laughs) because that's still like an open wound. But for me and how I know and even how I help my clients know, like when you experience something, when you see a person who has wronged you, when a situation or a circumstances arise that would have triggered you and made you feel some type of way, whether that was anxiety, depression, turning to substances, crying, whatever that is and you don't do those things, that's how you know you're on the path of healing. So there was a point in time where I couldn't even talk about the domestic violence that I've seen in my home with my parents, and I would just start bawling. Like, I couldn't even utter a word. But now I can tell that story even fully in detail and not even drop a tear Not to say that I'm desensitized to it, but I know that that's a place that I have healed and come to reconcile that that's a part of my story and it needed to happen for me to be able to help other people. So that's what I would say. When you can tell that story, when you can see that person, when you can be in another person's presence, when you can watch a TV show and not be triggered by something like you used to be, that's when you know you're on the path of pathway to healing. Is it perfection? No, but it's progress. And that's what we want progress. If you were going to create a toolkit for, or if it was a box for the care of our black women and every black woman was to get one, maybe therapy, because you said that that would be therapy, therapy, therapy. Everybody gets therapy. You get therapy. You get therapy. You get therapy. I feel the same way. What, what else would go in this box? What else goes into in, in your opinion, as a professional and, and just as a black woman, what else goes into the necessity of this toolkit, this box for the care of our black women therapy and, and what else? And I know it's pretty bro- a pretty broad term, but I would say self-care. That's one of the things that I have to struggle with. Even now, sometimes I'm so busy and on the grind that I forget to take those moments for myself if it's not embedded into my schedule already. And so, yes, it's great to have those massages and, you know, pedicures and manicures, but literally checking in with yourself emotionally and saying, am I good? Like, has this been a good week? How am I feeling emotionally? Am I more anxious? Am I sad? Am I happy? What's going on internally? So I think just taking better care of ourselves emotionally and not just ignoring all the red flags because we're taught to just grind, 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 do it, do it, do it. You know, we've been the pillar of mankind since the beginning, I almost feel like. And we've just always been those worker bees and we just do all things to make sure that the home is taken care of and kids and husband. But we have to make sure that we're taken care of as well. So I will add some self-care in there. I will add some self-compassion in there because I think we're too hard on ourselves oftentimes and we get beat up by the world and, you know, the society so many times from our weight to our hair to our skin color to how we speak and what we say and what we don't say that we just need to give ourselves ourselves grace and just say you know what I am whole I am beautiful just the way that I am and there's no one that can tell me different and lastly I would add in there I feel like this is like an emotional uh box (laughs) not anything real tangible so you can see where you know my values are I'm Uh not saying oh you know add those red bottoms in there like I am saying like the emotional care of ourselves and our mental health is way more important than the material things of this world point blank period so I would add some peace in there because I feel like Literally the last three weeks, I told everybody that I have come in contact with, if it's not bringing me joy, peace, happiness, I don't want it. Like, give me more of the good stuff and take away all of the negativity. So that's what I would add in that box. Hmm. I think peace is is powerful. Can you talk a little bit more about how to 
navigate and find peace in this this exchange of chaos. There's all this battle of here's the pile of of, of trauma that I've come through. Here is my internal battle and, and sense of self and internal discovery and identity formation. And then here are all my responsibilities. And then here are all my dreams, right? And in the pursuit of navigating all four of those, how do you recommend peace? And I'll even ask this, are there particular peace needs for our Black women? Is is there a uniqueness in, in terms of the pursuit of peace or how it's gained that you have found? Hmm, that's a really good one. I would say peace is probably one of the hardest things to maintain. I often think that we can have pockets and moments of peace and we can go somewhere and we can do something and we can be in someone's presence and we're just happy and joyful and peaceful. But it's really hard to maintain that state oftentimes. So I want to be in a prolonged state of peace. Not that I'm avoiding life's problems because life is naturally going to happen. But when I can grab onto the peace of the contentment, I want more of that. So what I purposely do, I'm not sure who's listening and what they do and what their faith system is set up like and their spiritual framework. But for me, it's all about prayer and meditating early in the morning. Mm hmm. And late at night. So I start my day with something that's going to ground me, right? Mm -hmm. Prayer, reading of the word, taking a time of silence, because that's a rare moment in my life. <laughs> yeah. And just getting centered and just saying, God, what do you want for the rest of my day? And then doing that at the end of the day, because those are the two times where we can easily just get up and go. or just go straight to sleep versus taking a moment to just say like, okay, what's going on here? Set my intentions. And I think the rest of the day will follow what you start off with. So if you start off the day chaotic, your whole day is probably going to be raggedy and chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> I love, so that's what I would say. And I think it's powerful in all of these. You've, you've referenced God, you know, probably almost 10 times in the, the time that we've been discussing. I love that you have this very intense faith value. And then at the same token, you are a licensed mental health professional. Um, I think in many <laughs> senses in times past, and, and I know here on the show, this is really like, that just is who we are on the show, right? Yeah. It's the integration yeah. of, of faith and, and mental health. And so tell me, how did you arrive at integrating the two? And do you ever come across? One, how did you arrive at integrating the two? And then two, do you ever find challenges maintaining them them both? This is my belief system, my faith in God. And also this is what I know academically, systemically, right? In, in terms of being a mental health professional, how did you arrive at the two and how do you hold both together? Oh, I think it was always ingrained and instilled in me because my mom is a strong woman of faith. So I grew up just knowing and being rooted and grounded in Christianity. And I think that further furthered my grounding when I went to graduate school, I went to a Christian university. So people think that psychology and faith is two separate things that can't be intertwined, mm -hmm. you know, or integrated whatsoever. And literally every single class spirituality was interwoven into whatever topic it was for that class. So for me, it became real natural. Now, I'm not the type of, I don't classify myself as a Christian therapist because I think that puts a label that I only see Christian clients, mm -hmm. which is the furthest thing from the truth. I see everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I think people know the difference when I don't waver in certain things. I don't judge them. You know, this is a safe space to always share. They're open and honest with me and I give them feedback. And I think that just walking into my office, you get a different feel that you may get from other people who may not be a person of faith. And this is a place where I have prayed in and out of every single office and just saying, God, you know, do whatever you want to do with the clients who enter this space. And that's not something that I go around saying Jesus, 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 Jesus all the time, right? But it's just this inner being, it's just this inner knowing of being rooted and grounded of like, ain't nobody going to tell me anything, even being in the TV industry and all the craziness that happens there. You have to have your feet planted so firmly in something because you will get swayed very easily. So 
I'm grateful for my faith because I see now why it had to be like drilled into me almost because it's something that I can't even depart from even if I wanted to. So when people think that spirituality and psychology is too separate, you know, it actually goes very, very well together. And I'm glad to be able to integrate the two into my my life, my personal and professional. And so what I hear you saying is that it was definitely something that was a part of your identity that you brought to your profession. And so because it is who you are and, and you were sharing came from your mom, it was something that wasn't hard to integrate into, you know, your academia and, and your profession. This is a great place to just insert this question about identity, right? In order to celebrate mm-hmm. people fully, we have to highlight all parts and facets of their identity and not just people in order to celebrate our black women fully. We have to look into more aspects of their identity, which we've already talked about goes beyond just relationship status or age. What other components of identity are there to acknowledge and celebrate in general in in the people who might be around us, right? If I'm trying to figure out a way to love the women around me in a, in a more whole, healthy and holistic way that celebrates their humanity, what other things? So we already mentioned your career. We talked about your context, right? Your family that you came from, your experience. And now we just talked about your faith. What other pieces of identity are there to celebrate? Hmm. I, I honestly will say that it's really all about taking in that person as a whole. So we talked about kind of like the pieces of it, but really if you're compartmentalizing someone, then you don't really know who they are at its at its totality. Hmm. So I say if you're going to accept someone, if, whether that's family, friends, business partner, colleagues, whoever, strangers, you have to accept all of who they are. And that means the good, bad, and the ugly that comes with it. So no one is perfect. We got some good stuff happening. We got the, and we got some not so good components of ourselves or our personality that we may want to change or we may um, need to work on more fully. But I think just embracing people's fullness and even with their flaws and just being like, it's cool. Like we all got flaws, you know, instead of pinpointing and highlighting and shining a light on that one area to make them feel inadequate. So I think we need to do a better job at just loving people the way they are and not trying to change and manipulate someone into being someone else. Yeah. I want to highlight back to just you. You have built an incredible brand. (laughs) It's just really is really solid like it just is (laughs) i because when i think the last time when did we see i don't know at least in in our context as young millennials and even i'm looking at my mom's generation that there was just a hey here is somebody who is your cool like from around the way mental health professional on tv (laughs) like and right and occupying (laughs) occupying that space how did you curate that? Like, I think we see the traditional path to go to school, become licensed, start seeing clients. But you said, no, I'm, I'm going to speak. We're going to be all on these shows. I'm really going to occupy this seat as being your resident cultural mental health voice. And how, how did you curate that? Talk to us about that journey. That blows my mind for you to even say that because this was never in my plan whatsoever. So if people don't know, I'm actually from Compton, <laughs> like yeah. CPT uh-huh. all the way, right? So I know what it's like to see, you know, poverty and to see homeless people and, you know, substance issues. I know very, very clearly. I mean, there's plenty of times where we literally did not have any food to eat. I remember that very clearly. So I come from very humble beginnings. So... My whole drive and why I go hard and are and I'm passionate about what I do is because I want to change my own family generationally, especially financially. Like I want my kids, kids, kids to be good. Right. So and I don't want them to know what lack is. Not to the place where they super like, you know, bougie and uppity and have no, no type of care about anything. But I want them to understand that you can go to college and not have to swipe credit card, swipe your credit card just to pay for books like I did, you know, and get in debt just to go to school like that. That doesn't have to be the option. And so. I never wanted any of this, to be honest with you. I just thought I was going to go to school, be a therapist, have my own little office one day. But then my business partner, whom 
I work with now, I had did a marriage retreat a few years ago and she was there with her husband and she was the one who pulled me to the side and said, I don't know who you are, but I love the way you commanded all the couples at this house and in this room. And there's something unique on, on the inside of you. And I was like, girl, bye. I was like, what? I was still an intern, wasn't licensed. And she was like, no, 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 no. I want to connect connect and collaborate and have a business with you later on. And so long story short, it was her seeing something inside of me that catapulted me to, to to the person that you see now. So I didn't even know I had the juice. I didn't even know I had the, <laughs> the the goods until someone else said, no, I see it in you. Like, we just got to develop and cultivate it. And once that door opened a little bit, I mean, once I got a glimpse of going back to my original goal of how I can change my family tree, I was like, oh, there's no stopping me. So that opened podcast, radio, TV, building a private practice, having people work for me. And it's been a beautiful ride. And so I want to encourage people that you can do whatever you set your mind to. There's no age limit. There's no relationship status that you have to abide by. But when you're obedient, because that's a whole other we're gonna have to do part two with me because come on <laughs> because the people don't know that I quit my job without a savings because God told me to and I was so scared to do it because I didn't see how he was going to provide but now I see how everything is falling into place so not to give you this long drawn out story but it was someone else seeing something powerful in me and saying, well, maybe they, maybe they're, they are seeing something very crystal clear and I need to hone in on that. And so I've never went to school for business or anything like that. I mean, it's just God inspired. You mentioned the group of the 1500 women. What was another moment where you spoke or you were part of something and you just walked off and were like, that was dope. Wow. I've had so many amazing moments like that. But to be honest with you, I would have to say me being on The Doctors. That's a national show. It's an Emmy award winning show. And I mean, when I walked there and I saw my own my name with on my dressing room, I was like, (laughs) oh, my goodness. Like, I can get used to this life. Like, like, hair and makeup was done for me. You know, clothes. I was like, now this right here, this is dope. (laughs) So... I think that has been probably one of the the best moments that I can look back on. And to be honest, that was one of the first times that I have done TV. So most people do local TV and then do national. For some reason, the stars align and I did national TV and then local. So that was an interesting twist. Wow. 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 As we're pivoting to millions of people watch that show all across the world. And I I mean, I was just like, what? (laughs) My parents, my parents and I were three of those millions. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I love. Okay. I forgot to say that. Like, that's the, that's the other reason why I'm a super fan. So like whole family is from, from Compton, like as in still to this day, we got folks stay on 135th cousin went to King Drew, like all the whole nine. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So deep. I know where y'all at. Yeah. Deep roots. (laughs) Deep roots, Compton Watts, ho, what's up, everybody who, who like from the real, real, real South LA. Anyway, so as we start to wrap up in your profession and as a clinician, you deal with folks who are trying to deal with and process everything. Are there any sort of tried and true strategies that you could recommend that are healthy for anybody who's just trying to trying to heal, whether that be they're trying to process something, they're trying to move on, build life. What might be some like two examples of homework you give that you've seen works, particularly when you're dealing with your female clients? Yeah, I would say don't avoid it, whatever it is or whatever, quote unquote, it may be. So it could be childhood trauma. It could be a broken relationship. It could be medical problems, whatever it is, like you can't run from it because if you run from it, it's just going to prolong the process of your healing. So addressing it head on. And I know it could be scary. I know it could be difficult. I know it'll make you feel some type of way because emotions come attached to that. But having a place where you can say, this is a part of my story. If I don't heal, you know, my kids or whoever's watching me, you know, they may not heal. And knowing that you have an obligation and a responsibility to make sure that you're good so you can help other people. So I would say one to address it, stop running from it, like sweeping it up under the rug, 
ain't going to do nothing but create a whole big old bulge in the middle of your living room. And you're just going to be walking around it for years and years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to work. And then the second thing that I would probably say is to make sure that you are in a place where I don't know how to put it into words. I don't know how to put it into regular terminology and not use my psychology words. <laughs> Go ahead. Use your psychology words. We love it. We welcome that. Oh my gosh. So getting to a place of catharsis mm -hmm. and that is basically when you are in a place where you can fully release everything that has been on the inside of you, good, bad, indifferent, but having a place where you can say, yep, I've been through that. Yep, I experienced it. It doesn't make me a bad person. I'm not shameful. I'm not guilt-ridden guilt over this, but this is a part of my story. And that's when that piece that we talked about earlier and that got healing it, really it. comes your way because you're not trying to hold on to it super, super tight. It's almost like a jack in the box, right? Like you can, you're going to keep whining that thing over and over again, but eventually sure. it's going to pop up <laughs> and it's going to come out and it's going to come out in the most unhealthy ways if you don't deal with it appropriately. Yeah. So having a, a catharsis or a release is a healthy way of expressing all the things that are inside of you. That's huge. I love that. I I want to make sure every listener marks that down, that that's a huge part of kind of protecting our humanity is just navigating how to find that healthy space of catharsis and, and what does that look like and what gets you there, right? Because I think, I think most of us, to be honest, have only known what it is to be high, not what it yeah. is to be in a place of true catharsis. And I, I think where I would leverage the difference between the two and tell me if how else you would feel about this is maybe that there is a there is a sense of of true freedom there's a sense of true alignment with who i am in the catharsis as opposed to if i'm high i'm just out of myself <laughs> like there's that right. freedom but right. catharsis seems to be from the way you explained it more about a sense of freedom and and oneness and alignment with who i am and what i've been through and and the peace that comes with that Absolutely. And it allows you to show up authentically, you know, to the world. Yeah. That's why you, that's why I am the way I am. Like I'm just my natural self and people are like, Oh yeah, I love our sessions. Like I just thought that you were going to be like this stuck up. Like how did that make you feel kind of therapist? <laughs> I'm like, Nope, that's not me. That's not what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. I love it. How can we support you? How can people follow you? And uh, what are you doing next? Oh, my goodness. There's so many amazing things coming down the pipeline. If you want to stay connected with me, you can follow me on all things Keandra Jackson. That's K-I-A-U-N-D-R-A. -A. Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, you name it, Instagram, I'm there. And also, too, I have some upcoming events that's happening. I will be at the I Love Me Summit with... Stefan Speaks, Ace Metaphor, and Derek Jackson. That's happening in the Los Angeles area on March 16th. And I am having a couple's lunch and learn for all the lovely couples out there who want to learn some really good relationship skills and to have some good food and be around some amazing couples. You can go to coupleslunchandlearn.com to get more details. And if you want to just check me out, period, you can visit my website at kwcouplestherapy.com. Love it. Love it. Love it. Keandra, I appreciate you. We celebrate who you are, who you are in this moment in time, who you are for this generation of millennials, who you are representing our community. And then, of course, we represent, we affirm and honor who you are in the body of Christ. And just we thank you for your yes, your yes to God and the calling on your life, your emotional labor for you going on that journey first so that you can lead us as we attempt to navigate it. And um, thank you for who you continue to be for all, but specifically for who we're taking care of uh, this month and always, which is our community of, of black women. So we salute you and appreciate you so, so, so much for being with us today. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. And I receive it. Absolutely. You don't have to get churchy. <laughs> Come <it>. on, receive <laughs> it. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Then I'll have to act up. Then I'll, they already know. See, y'all know I don't bring, I, I bring everybody on here, but I love bringing churchy people on here because that's when I feel most at home. So uh, <laughs> thank you so, so, so much. Family, I hope you got something out of this. couple things to highlight. Remember, number one, it does 
not matter where you've been or what you have gone through. It matters how you are making sense of this moment right now. Keandra told us, look, I counsel couples and I'm great at it and I don't have to be in a relationship to do that. I can do that at my present age. She talked to us about the importance of healthy catharsis, about the importance of maintaining peace along this journey and about how if we're going to celebrate humanity, then we must remember that though it's important to affirm these individual categories, it is more important to remember how to celebrate people as a whole person. So I release you to do so. And remember, with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building family. Wow, family. There you have it. Another episode uh, completed and done already in this season. I am just shocked that it has gone by this fast and we're already at episode four. I still got more questions. <laughs> I want to spend more time hearing stories and unpacking just how we get better at creating space and and loving and seeing and all that. So you know what that means? That means that this is bigger than four episodes. We're going to have to find a way to keep this going. And more importantly, it is about making sure that we understand that this is really about a lifetime of centering and loving our black women. So Excited for episode four. I hope you will tune in. But before we go, I didn't mention this in the episode, but Miss Keandra Jackson is a licensed professional. Remember that, which means that she is seeing clients. You can reach out to her to figure out if she has availability to take you on as a client if you're looking for a therapist that is black female if some of the other aspects of her identity that she brought out helps that she's christian again i want to highlight what she said she does not consider herself a christian therapist or someone who only sees christian clients but if that helps you in your worldview i know when i was searching for a therapist that was important for me because not just from a worldview standpoint but because every place that i come from is christian and so i needed someone who could at least speak that language as I was describing, hey, here's how I'm processing this so far. And so much of what I was processing had to do with with the church and my calling and ministry. So anyway, if that is something, if those things matter to you and are a part of the makeup of who you would want as a therapist, definitely uh, look into Miss Jackson. So uh, that's if you live in the Los Angeles area. I know we've got quite a few West Coast listeners. Uh, we've got quite a few folks who listen on the East Coast as well. Shout out to y'all on the East Coast. Some in the South, but predominantly East Coast and, and West Coast. And so unfortunately, Miss Counter Jackson is stationed here in Los Angeles. And so if you're anywhere near the LA area, look out for her. And hopefully I can find some resources who are there for those of you all who are hanging out on the East Coast area and my listeners there. Thank you for riding with me. I can't wait to share this next episode with you that's going to kind of push this conversation even a little deeper. So thank you all so much for listening. And as I say always, with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building family.